Hi, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of what I am tentatively calling Back to Basics. Uh, this is a new kind of pod and video series where we're going to be talking about the scripture in a way that kind of, well, gets back to the, the, the basics of it. Uh, we'll talk more about what we're getting into in a little bit, but uh, first I want to introduce myself. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm uh, Pastor Don. I'm the pastor of this little community that we're running here. Uh, and joining me is someone who is certifiably insane and will be joining us for this little uh, sermon replacement journey. Lindsay, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Lindsay. I'm the crazy one. Yeah, that is definitely the case. Uh, that's me. Yeah. Okay. The crazy one is all the self description you want to go for? We'll roll with it. All right. So what we're doing today, and Lindsay, you and I have talked about this off camera a little bit, is we are... Kind of looking for something new to do instead of sermons because the last thing anybody needs is having some random white dude rant about them about how they should be living their life you know uh even as good as i like to think i am about doing that it's not working for everybody uh so instead what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the scripture and when i say looking at i mean really looking at uh, <laughs> What some of you, I think, probably know, at least to some degree or another, and Lindsay, I'm sure you know this because you've listened to me complain about it constantly, uh, is that there is a crazy amount of work that typically goes in for, at least for a pastor, when you're reading and understanding the scripture. You got to look at languages, you got to look at backgrounds, you got to look at context and figure out what the hell was actually going on in that book, rather than just picking it up, reading it and saying, oh, okay, I should hate the gates. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing is going back to the basics. We're going to start with the book of Mark, and I'll explain why again in just a minute. But we're going to go from the beginning to the end, and we're going to look at the gospel story of Jesus and try to figure out what in the heck is actually happening here. Um, and the reason for this, I think, is pretty simple. Most of us went to Sunday school, and that's about it. Like, we can read these texts in English, but most of, even the most well-meaning of us, most of the information we're getting on this is coming from a combination of Sunday school, half-heard information on the internet and arguments we've had with family members. Uh, it's not coming from a real understanding of the text, right? Fair, yeah, no, agreed. Yeah. I so think 90% of what we're taught is when we're like four to six years old and we just kind of roll with what we've been spoon-fed. Yeah, so... That is something we're going to try and combat a little bit here by looking at it. And since I don't expect everybody in our community and beyond to spontaneously decide to learn Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic and start doing just boatloads of research, I figure we'll do the work for them, right? Right. So Lindsay has volunteered to be our dedicated everyman, so to speak. And I'll be the one who's done the seminary training. And between the two of us, we'll try to make some sense out of the shit. Sounds good to me. All right. So first thing we're going to do before we dig into it, I want to ask, what do you know about the Gospels in general, Liz? I mean, I'm not nearly as well versed as you. No, really? I, clearly. Um, <laughs> I mean, like you said, I know a lot of the stuff that I was taught in Sunday school. I know the stuff that we went over in church and I know a bit more beyond that. Obviously I've researched more, but I don't know like specifics. Like I'm not going to be able to tell you a verse and then just pull it off the top of my head kind of 
Well, let's let's stick with the nomenclature of the show here and go back to the basics here. I'm going to ask you a question that blew my mind the first time I was asked it because I couldn't believe I'd never thought of this question before. And the minute it was asked, I was like, how did I not ask that question before? Do you know why we have four versions of the same damn story at the beginning of the New Testament? No, I don't know why we have four different versions, but I assume it has something to do with, you know, people interpreting it differently. You're partway there. Um, the, the thing is, if you look at the, the story of Jesus in the Bible as an historical account, it seems really weird to have four of them, right? Yeah. Like if you're intending to write the history and life and times of Jesus H. Christ Esquire, then it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have four of them, right? Right. Agreed. Yeah. So what's happening here is that, and this is already going to get a whole bunch of conservative people who may or may not, probably are not uh, watching to, to turn it off, is they're not meant to be historical accounts. I believe that entirely. Yeah. And the thing is, that's not a modern interpretation of them. When the Bible was first put together in the 300, 300s or so, I forget exactly when, uh, Council of Nicaea-ish, um, when the canon was first drawn together, even at that point, they were not intending to make a history textbook. That was never the goal. And so the reason that they have four different accounts is because these are the, what you could call the memories of four very different communities of yeah. the story of Jesus. Because the story of Jesus got to all these different communities by people going there and telling the story orally. Yeah. Now, you know, much later on in the series, we can keep this going when we get out of the Gospels and into the letters and stuff. We'll find out about, like, why Paul is the only missionary apostle we've ever heard of. Um, fun fact, they all died. Um, but right now, what we're looking at are the, you know, the, the communities that heard the gospel message originally and why these are the ones who were recorded. So our boy Matthew, not really written by a guy named Matthew, that's just the name they ascribed to whoever the heck wrote it. Um, the gospel of Matthew was written to primarily Jewish communities. So it was the memory of, of Jesus as pertains to those particular communities, which is why you get a boatload of Old Testament references more so than any other. That's why you get a lot of this. This is how it connects to the prophecy of the Old Testament stuff in Matthew, because it was written to communities of Jews and Jewish converts who were all kind of big on that. Uh, yeah. Luke, uh, two fun facts about Luke. Luke is actually a two-part text. The books of Luke and Acts are basically Luke part one and Luke part two. Uh, and they are written in the style of a medical textbook uh, at the time. Okay. Yeah. So that's written for your, your Hellenistic audience, your high culture, your academics and things like that. Uh, it's meant to present a more of a kind of an apologetic view, a more of a like, hey, here are the, the facts presented in a, in a definitely narrative, definitely fun, but also kind of more precise sort of way. Um, it's more of an account uh, because that's the way those communities respected it. Uh, John is insane. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. Oh, John is a crazy person. But John was written in the style of some of the really 
kind of out there, um, Hellenistic kind of Greek uh, miracle stories. It was meant to really display how awesome and how cool this story is. So it's exaggerated in a lot of ways. It's uh, emphasizing some of the more dramatic supernatural stuff because that's the style of that particular piece. And then we get to Mark. What do you know about Mark? Anything? Comes right before Luke. All right. You are correct about that. Um, it actually comes before all of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Mark is the oldest of them. Oh, is it? Yeah. And in fact, it's thought that most of the Gospels are at least in some, well, less so John, uh, are based in some way on the book of Mark uh, or proto-Mark and a lot, a lot of other archaeological slash historical theories about the origin here, which we're not going to dive into because that'll take hours in and of itself. Uh, but Mark is the oldest of the Gospels, which means it is probably, if you want to be historical, the closest to some sort of objective reality, if you want to go that far. Um, and that's another good reason for us to kind of start with it. Uh, it's, it's the oldest, it's the cleanest, and one of the things I like about it it's the most blunt and straightforward. Fair. Yeah. Now, I don't know, how long has it been since you've ever bothered to read through any part of Mark? More than a decade, to be completely honest, so. All right. So uh, allow me to dazzle <clears throat> you with some fun facts about Mark. Please um, do, enlighten me. It is hilarious at times in how much it's focused on telling the story and leaving out all of the prophetic supernatural what you might call bullcrap yeah. it's like this is jesus plain pure and simple jesus to the extent that the original manuscripts of mark don't have the resurrection the story at the end of mark goes there was the, uh, the trial the the crucifixion and jesus died and everybody was sad the freaking end there's a resurrection narrative in there, but it's considered an editorial edition, tagged on a couple hundred years later. Yeah. Yeah. And so Mark's not above kind of sitting with the, the, the difficult emotions. It doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat things. It's pretty straightforward from what I recall. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we are going to start with this. Um, so do you have anything you want to you want to ask about before we dig into the actual text here? No, I'm eager. Let's dig in. All right. So we're going to start with Mark one because of course we are. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to do it in chunks. Now, Mark, particularly the beginning of Mark, is a lot of small chunks. So what we're going to do is three. Yeah, let's say about three chunks right away. So verse one, two. Yeah, let's say one to 13, you know, the first 13 verses. Now, okay. I'm guessing that seems rather arbitrary to you the way I put that, right? It's slightly, but you said chunks, so I'm assuming that they make sense together. Kind of, kind of not. Um, here's an interesting thing about biblical languages. We'll get into this a little bit later. They weren't big on punctuation, paragraph breaks, or section headers. So okay. in a lot of cases, like 
you know how if you look at your Bible, you see headings. Like if you're looking, if you're watching and you're looking at Mark 1 right now, you'll see the proclamation of John the Baptist. And then eight verses later, the baptism of Jesus. And then a few verses later, the temptation of Jesus. And then the beginning of the Galilean ministry, all these different section headers, right? Yeah. Those are not in the actual text of the Bible. I figured. Yeah, those are a for your convenience edition, usually in often just the English texts. Not even the other language Bibles tend to have, not all of them. Um, and in fact, when you go to the original text, it's just a block of words. Okay, that makes sense though. Yeah, so. Written a long time ago. Yeah. And so it can make it really hard to know where to, where to start and stop with stuff. Uh, and that actually can be a bit of a subjective uh, sort of thing. We don't have any great examples of this yet, but we'll come up with a few as we go on. But oh, I'm sure. to make one up off the top of my head, it'd be like um, if you say, Jesus went into town and he ate a loaf of bread. Jesus shared bread with all of his followers and everyone was happy. And where would you think to break there? I mean, several spots. Jesus went into town. He bought a loaf of bread, and then it seems like break. He shared a loaf of bread with his followers, and everyone was happy. They seem like two discrete thoughts, right? Yeah. But you could just as easily say, Jesus went into town. He bought a loaf of bread. He shared that loaf of bread with his followers. Break. Everyone was happy, and then the next thing happened. True. Okay. Yeah. And that seems utterly stupid to you. But then you realize, like, okay, did the disciples give a damn about the bread or not? Like, I'm using an, a thoroughly mundane example. Right, but still, you know, you gotta you gotta worry about the context of it too. Exactly. So. Were people actually happy about that bread, or were they like, yeah, thanks, Jesus? The fuck am I gonna do with this? Got too much bread. Yeah, you know. Bread, like we got piles of the stuff here. We're using it for a couch. Come on, dude. Yeah, they got literal loafers on. You know. Like. <laughs> Don't need it, bro. <laughs> All right. So so where you make those breaks is kind of important. For the beginning, we're going to stick with kind of where it is in the NRSV translation. Uh, I know you, you came well prepared and don't even have a Bible handy. Um, I thought about it. But that's okay. I can make like a, like a good big brother and read to you anyway. I appreciate it. All right. So I'm going to read the 13 verses we're going to kind of tear into a little bit here. All right, so okay. we're reading from Mark, starting with chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart 
and the spirit descending like a dove on him. A voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts and the angels waited on him. That's it. Okay. All right. So this is the beginning of the, of the, of the gospel itself. What, the first thing we want to ask is, what do, you, what do you notice? So we've identified our passage. That's usually the first step. Like, look at where we're going to do. I picked 13 verses, kind of semi-arbitrary. So then we start asking, what's the first thing you notice? Now, you know this is the beginning of the gospel, right? What's here? What's not here? What did you expect? What didn't you expect? Why was it so important that John was eating locusts and honey? I, I don't understand the importance of that. Um, okay. And uh, as we've previously discussed, I think it's very interesting, the statement of being driven into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. The whole uh, scene described as he's being pulled from the water. Right. Now that's a lot about what is there. What yeah. isn't there that you that you would expect from the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus? His birth. Yeah, there is no infancy narrative in Mark at all. We start out with a full-grown, full-size Jesus, like a Happy Halloween candy. We can't get no bite-sized nothing. Well, I think that's kind of where the idea that baptism is when your life begins came from, though, is because that whole story doesn't start until the moment where he's really baptized. That could be a way of looking at it. That's entirely possible. That choice of emphasis could could tell us something. Uh, that's one of the first things we ask is what is being told about this? Um, another question you could ask is, is that whole birth narrative important? You know, Mary and Joseph and the angels and the, the King Herod and the wise men and all of the pageantry drama. Do you need it to get Jesus? No. Yeah. What do, what do, we, what do we gain by having? A fancy Christmas decoration. We do get some very fun Christmas Eve services and stuff for the little ones to do to make everybody look happy. Oh, look, he's dressed as an angel. Oh, look, um, it's a little baby. Notwithstanding, um, and I will, I will always tell this story because it's hilarious. My son's first uh, Christmas pageant back when we were living in New Jersey, uh, he was with the chorus of angels uh, and he shredded his wings and then decided to start running laps around the manger. Uh, and when he was told he couldn't run laps around the manger, he stopped and tried to belly flop into the manger. Yeah. And when he was <laughs> told he could not do that, and mind you, this is during the pageant, he just went, huh, reached into his pants and whipped his bits out. <laughs> He's got to have fun his way. He does. Regardless, he, you know. That kind of kid some days. Um, so, you know, other than that sort of insanity, like, yeah, I don't feel like, I don't know. I don't know that his infancy and birth story really adds anything to the character that they're trying to portray anyway, other than it gives him, you know, the the sad birth story where, you know, oh, well, mom wasn't around anywhere. And, you know, it was this big dramatic, dramatized story. Supernatural. But yeah, but like, what does it add to the story? Mm-hmm. How does that entice more people other than being like, look, we're, ma we're magic, yeah. like cool. But like, 
it doesn't add any depth to his story, really. I would disagree with you there, but only just a little. Uh, because there's a piece at the back end of the infancy narrative that I think adds to the story. And that's where Mary, Joe, and little baby Jay are driven to Egypt as refugees where they live for the first chunk of his life. Okay, fair. Fair yeah. point. Refugee Jesus has something we can take from it. The infancy narrative yeah. itself, I don't, I don't want to poo-poo on it. It's great. It's grand. And I got to be honest, as a, as a musician slash, well, former musician at this point, um, I get a lot out of the, the, the music of Christmas time. Oh, boy, that stuff slaps. Um, See, I just don't feel the same way, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, in terms of teaching, like, we, we get a lot of glory of God stuff, but we get that from other places, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of prophecy fulfillment stuff, but we get that from other places, too. And in fact, if you look at Mark 1 here, uh, verse 2 right there, the first thing we're doing is grounding it in the prophecies of Isaiah. Um, which, I want to take another step back and ask you this. What does the word prophet mean? Do you, do you know? Um, someone close to, closer to God, like a speakerphone mm -hmm. sort of thing. They... Uh... They're prophetic. They, uh, they're more in tune. And that gives them the ability to foretell the future? So to speak. Yeah, fun fact. Um, prophets don't predict the future. They're not clairvoyants. No. Um, and they that is... Assumptions. Not even, I wouldn't even go that far. A prophet no. is not dissimilar from what we consider a preacher nowadays their their whole thing was to speak the truth to power dramatically powerfully if necessary uh some of them use bigger and bolder examples like you know running around half naked all the time or you know crazy stuff like that uh because some of them were pretty weird uh but the whole point of what they're doing isn't to be a mystic and predict the future but to simply say this is what you're doing this is why it sucks and this is what that's going to lead to so a lot of Isaiah was doing is saying, hey, you guys are being screwy. You're not following the commandments. And in the end, that's going to lead to a sequence of events that will eventually get you a Jesus, but it ain't going to be as much fun as you think. So, you know, we talk about grounding in prophecy. That right there is, is, is a big part of it. Yeah. So... Let's see, then we get John the Baptizer, and you highlighted the whole locusts and honey thing. Yeah, I just felt like that was a strange addition. Like a weird specification. Why is that so obscure that it needed to be mentioned? Well, the first point I'm going to say is it wasn't as uncommon as you think in those days. That's why I'm curious as to why it was mentionable. Um... The big thing about it is if we dig into like Isaiah's prophecy and stuff like that a bit more and some of the related elements to it, um, the whole thing about camel's hair and the leather belt and the locusts and honey are all kind of in some way derived from that or associated midrash. Uh, by the way, do you know what a midrash is? Midrash? What? Yeah. No, it's not some sort of weird infection on your midsection. Yeah. It was like a weird stomach rash. I don't, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's the... Um, it's the basically the Hebrew backstory to the Old Testament. Um, okay. all, of, all of the extra stories and stuff you get around 
the Hebrew uh, Old Testament and things like that. So if, if you don't find it in the Bible, but they're in the Old Testament and it's like referenced in the New Testament, it probably came from something like that. The, the old rabbinical teachings and stuff like that. Dogma, if you will. Okay. Uh, it's, it's the same place that we get things like the cherubim and the seraphim and all the order of the angels and Gabriel and micro, uh, Michael and Lemetatron and pretty much everything that dogma was making fun of back in the day. Right. Okay. Um, that, that's the Catholic fan fiction. Uh, basically the same thing. So a lot of this comes from either the Old Testament itself or from the Midrash as a way of describing this uh this prophet slash baptizer that would appear just before jesus and would not be the jesus himself but he would be able to kind of point to the Duke. Uh, okay and he would be a person who lives out in the wilderness and uh locusts and honey were basically like the wilderness equivalent of china buffet you know like they're, they're they weren't out of the ordinary but definitely like very accessible food for someone who's living way out in the middle of nowhere and you know the angel so they were calling him a hippie yeah, pretty much. He was okay. a good smelly hippie. Okay, I get it now. Uh, and like a lot of dirty smelly hippies, he was taking things that were very common practice and doing them in his own special way. Uh, mm -hmm. So now here's the question you may have a little bit more to say about. What do you know about baptism? I know that all sorts of denominations do it at different points. Mm -hmm. um, consent is not always the big deal there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know that you are being cleansed in a way of sin and uh, giving over your life to Jesus. In some cases, some denominations refer to it differently as um, when they do it when you're younger, it's about a community coming together to um, help enforce a good Christian upbringing. Um, but basically the overwhelming tone is that you don't go to heaven if you're not baptized. Okay. And where do people get all of that information? From uh, Sunday school and our parents. Hmm. I'll give you a broader clue. You're sitting on it. A chair? Your butt. Oh. As in they pull it directly out of that. This is the I mean, primary passage describing baptism in the, in the New Testament. Um, you get some references to it in, in Acts and in later books as well, uh, but mostly they're referencing a practice that was built upon you know, what John the baptizer was doing, uh, which you'll notice it's not a gatekeeping ritual. It's not a community ritual. There's no particular practice outlined. There's, there's not a standards and practices guide. Uh, and in fact, uh, what John was doing was a type of Jewish purification ritual that was stupidly common in the period. Like kind of a ritual baptism was like, you know, you'd, you'd wash your hands after your period had finished and be baptized and cleansed from all the sins of being a woman, you know, because <laughs> it was yeah. the Middle East, <laughs> they were still pretty bad about things. Um, yeah. But it was, it was kind of a generic sort of purification ritual. Uh, that's not to say it had no meaning, but it wasn't like the thing. Uh, John was unique in that he was putting a much bigger emphasis on it and he was dunking people in rivers and stuff yeah but it was just an expanded form of something that everybody was doing as a fairly mundane act uh, and everything we've built on since that point have been things that we've attached meaning to but if you want to ask that question what's in the bible this is it that's it yeah so what don't you see then here? 
uh, the ritualistic aspects of it and the, the you don't get to go to heaven. Yeah. If you're not baptized, it just seems like a fun thing to do. Now, this is going to be a theme we're going to bump into a whole hell of a lot as we start tearing through this. But what's absent from here is the gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of this way and only this way, please. You don't do it in this exact way. Then you are going to the fires of a literal hell. Yes, that's that's what it's missing. Yeah, it's not there. Um, and even in doing it, like the, the practice itself, I'm, I'm looking at it right here. Um, here we go, in verse 9. Um, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's it. That's the whole practice as described in action. Well, they don't even describe how he's baptized. Yeah. You don't know that he was dunked. You don't know that he wasn't sprinkled. Um, you John know, the Baptist could have some water on his head. John the Baptist could have walked into an edge near the river and Sparta kicked his divine ass into the river. But we don't know. We don't know because it's not there. All of this other stuff, we've added on to it over time. Uh, I'm going to actually paraphrase for you here a quote from, oh God, I forget exactly who. I want to say it was Origen, but I always think all of the ancient Christian writers are Origen, so I could be wrong about that. Uh, probably am. But when talking about baptism, one of the ancient uh, Christian writers was talking about how you do it. And they said, if you got a river, dunk them. If you don't have enough water to have a river, sprinkle them. If you ain't got water, sprinkle some sand. It doesn't matter what you use as long as you do something. See, this brings up an interesting theory I have on the text that we're talking about right now, though. Okay. But it does bleed over into the rest of the, you know, 13 verses that we've gone over. Um, so in a lot of other uh, ancient religions and uh, religious spiritual practices today, um, baptism isn't about being sprinkled or dunked or anything like that. It has more to do with the spiritual journey, mm -hmm. which includes taking some form of a psychedelic. Mm. So they don't really go into detail about what way he was baptized and in what context that means exactly, because they're, I mean, they're one in the same, like you just said, if you don't have water, use sand. If you don't have sand, use LSD, you know, you don't know what he was how he was baptized or what right. he was baptized with so who's to say that he didn't get you know dosed with something now i'm not gonna go so saw the heavens far. open up yeah i'm not gonna go so far as to say that you know verses 9 through 13 of our text here are all about jesus tripping on lsd i'm not gonna go so far as that i'd probably lose my ordination if i did However, I'm not going to say that it's not. I'm not going to, I am honestly, I'm not going to say that it's not. And there are some academic theories that look at that locusts and honey passage and say, hmm, there are some locusts and some local honeys relative to that period that would have some severe effects on cogency and perception. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, that is not out of the realm of possibility. And you're, and you're quite right that the 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 connection between the baptismal act and one of the few examples of straight up perceptual madness from the perspective of Jesus. Uh, there is a convenient connection. Uh, 
uh, that we in Christianity don't or haven't explored much historically because, well, historically speaking, we've been fairly puritanical about that stuff. Uh, but, yeah. You know, we're, I would like to say that it's possible for us to dig into the text deep enough to get answers on that, but that's not going to be a thing we'll be able to do. It's just not enough there. Uh, but it is something you can consider in the back of your head as possible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't commit to it, but I would not rule it out. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because the procedure that he highlights there is not dissimilar from what you would expect from someone who has a, a bit of a trip. You know, you get the heavens torn apart as he emerges from the water, the spirit descends, you know, you get a good job, son. And then he's driven out into the wilderness where he hangs out for 40 days. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's some, what, some peyote sort of stuff there. Yeah. Um, it's not out of the, uh, out of the realm of possibility. So that's where we're going to end part one for today. Uh, I want you to join us next week for part two of this discussion. We're going to dig into a lot more about the, uh, the language and the text and how we understand that in a bit more depth. Uh, you can find Matt in the same place you're finding this next week. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get involved in the discussion more, I want you to uh, be invited and feel welcome to, to check us out on Discord, uh, which is where our community is interacting. Uh, you can find the link to that as well as to our Facebook, our YouTube, our podcast, anything else you want to find. You can find at our website, which the link to that is down in the description of literally wherever you're following us at. In the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you for part two next week. Take care. Thank you.